0: All right, uh, we've got we've got four to do this hour, and then we will have finished all of them. Unbelievable! From the from the start, you've been a good group. Um, so let's do twenty-five here, and so uh, this is dealing with the ministry of the word and a professional medical model. What is is different here, and also in the ministering of the word. Um, some precautions that we as counselors will want to fall into. Uh, General definition, and there'll be another definition actually further down, but general definition is ministering of the scriptures, bringing God's word to bear upon people's problem in life. So I can't say it enough. is keep your finger in in the word uh, when you're talking to someone. Uh, Randy Patton made a suggestion, and it's been very helpful to me. It's even before the person walks into the room. Have your scriptures open, and because it even single it even signals to me to be find things in the scripture and be speaking from there as opposed to giving what I think is right or my two cents. So uh, <clears throat> that's what's being talked about here. You know why it's effective? Well, the word of God is inerrant. The word of God is sufficient because God personally works, works through it, and this is for all soul problems that we face in life. Not for all problems, but definitely ones that are our soul problem. So venues for bringing the word of God to bear personally on a person's life, people's lives, is there's there's, there's public, there's a preaching of God's word, and then. There's also individual, and the Acts twenty twenty, that's a good verse. It talks of where Paul preached the word, and he also talks about going from house to house, ministering the word of God. So, to remember that verse, we think of having uh, you know twenty twenty eyesight in terms of caring for your people, going from house to house and helping them. Now, a more specific definition, ministering the Scriptures is to present a specific passage for the counselee's consideration. And that's from Randy Patton when he was the executive director. Present a specific passage for the counselee's consideration. Not just reading anywhere in the Word of God, but where reading the Word of God would be helpful to the issue that they're struggling with. Choosing a passage that is pertinent, circle pertinent, to the counselor's need. So there's three things here. Choosing a passage, then the second one, clearly explaining what it means. That's the second one, explaining. And then third, applying it to the counselee situation. So as the counselor, you're going to have to do... All three. You're going to have to choose that passage now. As you pray about it, the scripture, the Spirit is going to help you, and it's a beautiful thing to uh, be sitting down, thinking, "I don't know what to do." Start praying. Uh, Some ideas come, and you finally choose one to use. And then working with the person, seeing how it uh, you unpack it yourselves, you're even amazed yourself that you saw these. Things in here, and then explaining it in a a practical way, and then helping the person apply it to their own life. And here, a, a counselee should be able to clearly see the truth for a situation and how to apply it to his life. So that's a goal, that is the goal of your ministering of the word, that they will be able to see the truth and apply it to their lives. Not just that they got a a warm, fuzzy feeling about reading this word, about God loves them, but really how they can use it. So, now, ministering the word is not presenting one verse after another from all over the, the scriptures to the counselee. This is very, very common. Because if one verse is good, 20 verses is going to be 20 times better well, it doesn't seem to work that way. You know, like, well, if one's good. I'll just dump the whole dump truck on them and just go one after another. Uh, that does not seem to be as helpful. It seems to be better to choose a particular passage. That doesn't mean just one verse, but it means a, a passage, you know, maybe five, 10, 20 verses Stay there. Make sure, you know, you've presented what it means. They clearly understand it and then help them apply it to their lives. Now, it says here, ministering the word of God is foundational to the three elements of newthetic confrontation. So when you're uh, confronting a person, the first one is newthetic confrontation always implies that there's a problem that must be overcome in a believer's life. There's an issue here. There's a temptation, there's a trial, there's a problem. So you're presenting the Word of God and its direction. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to alert us to when something is wrong in our or another's life. put a little reference there in Hebrews 4.12 that the, the Word of God truly is. It is living, it's alive, it is active. In the end of that verse talks about how the Word of God is it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the of the heart. The second is pneumatic new conversation solves problems v- verbally. That's we're using uh, speaking. God spoke the world into existence. Uh, Jesus taught verbally. We have the, God's word in a written form, so it's using it verbally. For the counselor, this does not provide license for live discussion of personal preferences. That's not what we're we're talking about. All confrontation should be centered on how the different truths found in Scripture apply to a counselee's life. Keep your finger on the word of God, have it open when the counselee arrives. Three, you said a confrontation is for the benefit of the counselee. We will all struggle. With pride all our days. And the the counselee, counselor situation is not to make us feel good about how great we are. That we feel so good about ourselves because we're not struggling with that issue. We feel so good about ourselves because, you know, they came to us for help. We feel so good about ourselves because God used us as an instrument. It's not about us. We can be thankful for some of those things, but only thankful. We're there for the benefit of the counselee. Counselor helps the counselee keep the word of God in both commandments and principle, and keeping the biblical principles is of great, great benefit. Now, on the other side, looking at uh, the professional medical model. We've got the professional medical model. Uh, It takes one or two forms. One is where the patient needs extensive talk therapy to be cured. Okay, that's the medical model. Uh, that's where your psychologist... Thank you, Kathy. That's where your psychologist comes in. They're very much into talk theory. Now, the uh, the, the challenge here in talk theory is in those psych, uh, psychological models, I think there are around 250 uh, accepted different models of psychology talk theory that... Are out there and uh, are uh, acceptable to use. So all kinds of uh, different things. The uh, second, he has extensive damage done to his person through socialization. That's their understanding. That's the foundation of it. This person has come, and uh, through their socialization, that means uh, you know they they had rotten parents, or they had a sibling that picked on them, or when they were in school, uh, they didn't realize he, was a, he or she was a different type of learner and made them learn by reading when they were more of an active type of learner. All these things, and this has really uh, crushed this, this person. So this needs to be adjusted in the, the talk theory. Now, the one that mostly it's common, the idea in this talk theory, is that the person... By talking to them, they have the truth and understanding in them, and the talking will bring this out. Where for us it's very different; we we have the spirit in us, but we have to be told from the Word of God what is what is true. Where they have they have the truth, and you uh, in this talk theory, you're just asking questions to sort of un, unleash this to get it get it to the surface so they can get it out of their subconscious and understand it. Or the second model of the medical is not so much the psychologist where it's all talk theory, is then when you get into drug therapy. That's now where you're you're dealing with uh, a psychiatrist or your general practitioner can supply uh, these drugs also. So, but this is, and it used to be psychiatrists. I mean, you know the old joke where they had, had you lay on the couch and psychiatrists talk to you and things like that. Psychiatrists, they don't, they don't they don't have couches anymore. They got a medicine cabinet. They just give you, uh, you know, they just give you one pill after another, and the pills have varying effects. Some it helps some people. Some people you know, they come in depressed. They give them a pill. Some people that will elevate their emotions. Other people. It'll make them suicidal, so they keep track of them. And they that that one didn't work, so let's try this one. So it's very much a trial and error uh, on that. And you have to be with the drug therapy. You have to be especially careful with uh, um, students, ones that are in like high school, middle school, because uh, their their bodies react very quickly and quite erratically to the uh, to the drugs. And so a good psychiatrist, even if they're not a believer, know nothing about what we're doing, and they have a, any type of conscience, they will watch those people very carefully. The so medical doctors believe that the patient has a chemical, basically a chemical imbalance in the brain. You'll hear things about like serotonin and, and so forth. And if, uh, if you actually read the, it's a, a DSM, It's it's sort of their Bible on uh, psychological disorders. I think they just came out with the fifth edition, DSM-5. And uh, uh, in there, they will, they will clearly say that this idea about serotonin and all, this is a, this is a theory of, about what helps us cope in this, in this world. It's just a theory. You cannot measure serotonin in a live person. The only way you can get serotonin is once the person is, is, is dead. Uh, so it's, it's not something you can uh, draw blood and determine any of this. So it's very theoretical what's going on. Now this, uh, this is causing the painful thoughts or abnormal behavior. See, the psychologist, the secular psychologist, says it's socialization. You go to the psychiatrist, it's not socialization. There's something wrong in their brain. See, the psychologist, it's society caused the problem. With the psychiatrist, it's a physical medical problem. So if, a, if someone comes to you from your church and they've been to see a psychologist and then to see a psychiatrist, they're going to hear very different stories of what's wrong with them. And they could have very different labels. And they could come into you with some labels they got from the psychologist that are talking about socialization that messed them up, and then they come in with labels from the uh, psychiatrists that are talking about chemical imbalances and all these other things on, on the other end of the spectrum. No wonder they, they don't know what's, what's up. It's very, very confusing and hard for them. So uh, the doctor truly believes that his patient is best served through a regimen of psychotropic drugs that will uh, rebalance the the brain chemicals. Now, <clears throat> we can get uh, we can get very down on uh, psychologists and we can get down on psychiatrists, but uh, we we need to be uh, very very gracious and re- respectful of of these people. Is that uh, many of them, they don't know Christ? Uh, we do. We have a tremendous advantage, and uh, many of them truly in their heart, especially the ones that are psychologists, even though I don't use them. Uh, even the psychologists, many of them, they really, they're, they're in it because they really do care for people. They really want to help people. And th- so they have this the same motivation that you and I have. We want, we're not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing it for them themselves and many of them are social workers and work for government agencies. They're not making a lot of money doing this and they have just tremendous caseloads of the number of people they're supposed to care for and all it's it's hard. So we need to be respectful in that sense toward them. But let's contrast the Ministry of the Word model and a professional medical model. It deals with the caregiver. For the latter the pr- the practitioner must be highly professionally trained expert. You now, those people who become a psychologist, and then especially if you're a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist is a is an M.D. who is then after getting the he or she getting their a medical doctor degree has then gone on and specialized in psych- in psychiatry, and they have seen some very hard cases and dealt with. Some uh, people who are are psychotic, can be life-threatening, and so forth. And even the psychologist doesn't have the MD degree, but they usually will have uh, at least one master's degree and have a lot of uh, hurdles that they needed to jump and pass and test and so forth to be able to practice by the state. On the other hand, us, people who are ministering the Word, okay. Um, it used to be we were just common ordinary garden variety pastors, you know now it 's even better, most of us aren 't even even pastors, you know we're just common ordinary garden variety believers, you know one believer helping another and uh, so it, uh, in terms of, in terms of just education, they usually have a ton more education than we do, and a ton, ton more certification and people watching over them than, than we do. But uh, we, fortunately, we have God, we have the spirit and he's calling us to do it. And he empowers us to see these changes in people's lives. Okay? It's just terrific. Okay. All right. And the second contrast is deals where their problem relies, lie, resides. For the ministry of the word model the problem is with the soul and its source is sin. That's where we are. This is a soul problem, and it's, co- and it's caused by the person not responding to the problem properly. They're sinning. With the medical model says the problem is with the brain and its source is inappropriate socialization or chemical imbalance. So we're really, we're really looking at the person as radically, radically different. God is at the forefront of everything we do, they aren't allowed to bring God even into the picture unless the counselee brings it up. It's against their code of ethics. So we're really in radically different uh, uh, just just areas and realms of understanding uh, people. Another contrast deals with the differing instruments and sources of healing. The medical model, they use drugs or or talk therapy and rely upon the practitioner's skill for healing with that. With the ministry of the word model, the instrument cure is the written word of God. There you see Hebrews 4.12, and relies upon the Holy Spirit's comfort, and love, and care for the healing. So I remember writing this for the first time. It was just... Interesting to help me get clarity on, okay, what's the psychologist doing? What's the psychiatrist doing? And where I fit. And it was just where we fit. It's just radically different in the way we uh, view folks and care for them. So hopefully that'll give you some help there. And remember the ministering the Word of God. Take a passage. Help them clearly understand it. What it means. And apply it to their lives and then talking about those, those models. Okay. Now, uh, did I skip one? Okay, no, that was the right one. I was thinking, I maybe jumped the gun there. Okay, 25. Now we got 26. All right, 26 deals with uh, some of these things that are in that spiral bound book. Okay, Write short paragraph on each of the following healing of memories, visualization techniques, 12-step and other recovery programs, self-image. In your answer, define and give biblical analysis of each concept. It's interesting what's in parentheses here. Uh, Don't guess, you know, research these, look them up. And you can find some things on the, the internet. But the nice thing about that book is it shows the, what, how the psychologist looks at it. And even Christian uh, psychologists, some of these, why they're popular is that if you go to a Christian psychologist, this is what they'll be talking about and using uh, and how your view will be different. So let's look at it. Healing of memories. The basis or premise behind this treatment is that the individual is having problems in their life due to subconscious memories of past traumatic events in their life. All right, so think through that again. They're having problems now and these problems now are subconscious memories of past traumatic events in their life. So subconscious is that they got the problems now, but when they walk in to the office with you, subconscious means they don't they don't remember it. Okay? They don't, this is, it's not on their radar screen at all. Uh, and this is causing a problem. So the healing that's done, uh, healing requires traumatic memories to be relived and worked through so that the individual can experience personal growth and well-being. Hey, okay. so... This is a traumatic experience that supposedly happened in the past that's impacting now, but it's all subconscious. They don't remember it. These members have supposedly been repressed. They've been repressed because they're so painful and that as a young person, uh, they just didn't have the uh, ability to handle these things. Therefore, the individual needs the help of a therapist to retrieve and reconstruct uh, them. Okay. Uh, here, in most cases, these memories involve some type of abuse by another. Okay. So these, are, these are serious things that supposedly went on in this person's life. Now, certainly, abuse does happen. Abuse is ugly, ugly, and it is terrible. So there's no, uh, in thinking about this technique, there should be no downplaying of that. And if you have someone that has been abused, you should give uh, great concentration and help to that. Okay. Now, once the memories are recovered, so this is the therapist's job to bring these things to the forefront. The counselee is to confront the abuser. So that's how you get the healing. Now they're recovered, you confront this person. If the abuser does not repent... Uh, typically, the relationship is to be discontinued, and these are steps that they have, they have found to bring uh, healing. Now, this approach can be very this, this approach can be very dangerous. Uh, it's erroneous and dangerous for the well being of the counselee for a number of reasons. One, uh, questions by the therapist can be deceptive and misleading, which produces a false memory to be exposed. This is what happens here you know things are okay we're looking for traumatic you know this person's acting sort of bizarre so people uh, counselors who are really into this method thinking okay the bizarreness is because there's something that was bizarre tragic severe that happened in the past so i have to ask questions and sort of to bring this alive uh, which produces a a false memory to be exposed on the basis of this memory Another is falsely accused, and a relationship could be needlessly destroyed. Two, underlying reasons for the counselee's problem is that they they lie within themselves. With this approach, there is blame shifting of the problem to another. Their odd behavior now is, is not because of them. Their odd behavior now is because of what this... Person supposedly did to them. Uh, so it's a blame shifting uh, issue. Then lastly, counseling misses the opportunity to grow to be like Christ and may even become worse off due to not handling this problem in a way pleasing to God. So a lot of these um, types of techniques, they have their, their sort of what we call day in the sun. Uh, time when they become real popular and you hear a lot about them. Uh, <clears throat> this one I haven't heard too much about, the healing of memories. Uh, this visualization technique, uh, this one is still um, uh, floating, uh, floating around here. So let's talk about this next one. The therapist used prescribed prayers and active suggestion to help the the imagine reliving pray. Painful memories while visualizing Jesus walking with them and empowering them to release the pain and hurt and forgive those who were the cause. So this is often one that's used by so, so-called Christian counselors. And uh, I think uh, a popular name of it is Theophostic as a type. So this is, uh, you might have heard that. Uh, that's in the Christian circle. So Theo is God. And so forth to hear of that. And I, I, I told you about that lady that lived across the street from us that uh, came to the Lord. She was a counselor and so then became a, a Christian counselor. And then she was the one that gave me that lady in the mental hospital who was homicidal and suicidal. Well, she, this, this, she, this is what she thought was the best thing. She really, I remember she gave me videos on it, and so I would watch them and about it. And, um, so this is what they're, they're talking about here. It's a, a fantasy journey through past memories. Is, it's not mentioned uh, in, in Scripture as a way to handle problems. The way is to obey the Lord's commands to forgive, to forbear and aggressively seek. Reconciliation of broken relationships. Yes, Jesus certainly is walking with us through our problems. We can use our sanctified imaginations to appreciate his intimacy with us. However, this visualization in itself will not bring healing. Just visualizing Jesus there, there's parts that we need to play. God has given us the way of walking with him now in obedience and healing. It's just not. Visualizing that he was with us during that that time. Um, this twelve step and other recovery programs. Uh, what's a what's a common twelve step program? You know, Alcoholics Anonymous and so forth. And uh, actually, the guys that started Alcoholics Anonymous originally they were they were Christians, and there were a lot of positive things that were in it. It's now become more secular and it's for all people of all walks of life. So 12 Steps and other have, you know, they have some success. Uh, current foundational philosophies, the current ones are opposed to biblical principles and limit a Christian's healing. A lot of manipulation of the, the flesh. It, uh, it's good to get together with this group and if you know you, you're going to stand before this group and have to tell them about your last drinking episode. That, might, that, that does have a way of helping you think twice about not doing that. But it doesn't necessarily help you uh, heal your heart and change uh, radically uh, your heart and behavior. Now, one error that is foundational to the program is a reliance now. They don't rely on God. It's a higher power. And so, uh, since Christians, for us, since Christians do rely on the higher power, the only true God who is revealed in scripture, this sounds good. So we could say, oh, well, this is good. They're relying on a higher power, but the grave error is when they're presenting the program is an individual is told they can rely on any higher power that they would like. So, uh, if you're a Muslim, this could be Mohammed. If you're, uh, you know, a Buddhist, somewhat you can be there or etc. So to rely on something that has no strength is really the height of foolishness and, and misleading. And so, a second error in their underlying philosophy is that uh, addiction is a lifelong disease and alcoholism. Uh, has no present cure, <clears throat> so uh, part of the meeting is you, you always are an al- alcoholic you know I'm an alcoholic and i 've been clean for two months or i 'm an alcoholic that has you know been clean for two years, but you 're always described. you have this this label. Counseling is not really responsible for his addiction since it's a, a disease. You know, if, if I have the flu, you no, know, I am not responsible that I'm throwing up all over the place. You know, it's, it's, it's something my body's doing. As much as I want to control it, take men, there's nothing I can do about it. So it's that same, okay, I have this disease. I am alcoholic and so ooh it's going it's going to get me and uh all right um, so just as one is not responsible for having also type 1 you know diabetes those those kinds of diseases now the bible's teaching to us is is different here that we believe drunkenness is a is is a sin not necessarily that drinking of alcohol is a sin but drunkenness is. And fortunately, it does have a cure. I just love these verses in First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It lists this atrocious... Thing. It begins, these people are not part of the kingdom of God. Then it ends with these... You know, if this is characteristic of you, you are not part of the kingdom of God. And then in the last verse, it says, but such a sum of you were. You know... And uh, we all still might struggle with some of the things that are in that list, but they are not characteristic now of who we are. We are different. We have been bought by Christ. We have been sanctified and justified, and we are being moved toward glorification in Him. So there's healing. There's there's healing not in standing up and saying each week, you know, I am an alcoholic. There's a healing in confession. There is healing in repentance. There is healing in being able to say, I was an alcoholic, but due to the redemption of Jesus Christ, I am now walking in a new way. Am I still tempted? Yes. I will probably never, uh, this isn't myself, as somebody, I will probably never get a job as a bartender. You know that would just be stupid to do that but I can live a new life. This is not defining of who I am. Repentance, a lifelong obedience to the commands of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So some of these things are very good, very helpful, uh, but the from what we have to give, there is no comparison. Uh, and it's amazing. Just thinking of from the last question, remember, We are just ordinary garden-variety Christians. You know, there's nothing special about any one of us. And we get to watch God work in a special way. And here these folks. They are trained and trained and studied and studied and studied. And they rarely get to see, you know, things really happen before them. Uh, Where us, we do a little... You know, I mean, we're working hard, but we're not working hard like they've worked hard and uh, doing papers and so forth. So, third destructive philosophical error relates to where the is to find the answer to their problems. Recovery programs typically promote having the counselor talk it out so that he can see that he can actually find the error within themselves. In truth, we are depraved, and the answers that we need are found in the revelation of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. So we're thankful to the Lord. <clears throat> the next one, dealing with self-image here. Our last one. Yes, it is true that all of us must find our identity in life. And we, you know, we talk about self-image and self-esteem uh, as if we don't need that. We, we do need that. But it's where we find it and uh, my, let's see. Uh, thinking about the notes here, I don't think I have it written, but write down First uh, John three one, and that's a classic, uh, a classic self-esteem, self-image uh, verse. And basically, it says, uh, "You are a child of God. This is what you are." And as where we get it from, so. Yes, it's true. We all need identity and light. People typically choose one or two radically different approaches. One approach to finding worth is finding in ourselves, uh, ego strength. Okay? I can I can do it. This focuses upon what they and themselves are. You know, Paul did this once. See Philippians three, four through six. You know, he was he had studied under Gamaliel. He was a a Pharisee. Uh, he had practiced all these things. I think he was a Benjamite. All these things to build his self esteem. But his credentials in his culture put him on the very top of the heap. By God's kindness, he came to realize that this approach was really rubbish compared to the other approach, a person finding their self worth in Christ. And that's that's us. So so for all our worth and self esteem resides in our relationship to another there. That was, Ephesians 1, that's a, the beautiful passage in the, the first chapter of Ephesians that runs through all the spiritual blessings that are ours in the in the heavenlies for us. With this approach, there is satisfaction with one, oneself as one is, is in proper relationship with Christ, having a clear conscience before God and man. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit speaks to us as to our true identity, God has adopted us as his dearly loved children. Romans 8, 16, where he says the Spirit himself, capitalized, speaks to our spirit, that we are children of God. So those are just some of the common ones uh, floating around there. That uh, And just to see, help contrast it with difference in what we're doing and help us understand even a little bit better what we have and how we can help help folks. Now moving on to 27. With which Christian counselors, if any, do you agree? On which points uh, do you agree with them and why? Be specific and concrete with names and use two or three counselors as an uh, example. All right, so... Um in my notes here i I used uh, <clears throat> one uh i couldn 't find really a comparable one for now, but ten years ago, James Dobson was really, really popular you know had a radio program on focus of the family, and as I said here in the the notes uh I I really have the utmost respect uh, for him and what he he has done. I've visited a couple times out there. They've moved from California to Colorado Springs, been to the center there. And he and Focus on the family, they work hard to reform both the government and the Christian community to see their social responsibilities to do justice, to pursue the common uh, good, to defend the vulnerable, and uphold marriage in the family. That's what the the value of them is. That is, that is honorable and good. Uh, you know, I believe he pursued his agenda with integrity uh, and uh, with humility. He had respect for others who did not agree with him, uh, both Christian and non, non-Christian. Uh, he spurred the Christian community out of its pietistic small groups and into the public square so that righteousness may be heard for all. His outspokenness has helped me uh, join the debate. For this, I am very thankful uh, to him and, and men and women such as this. On the other hand, when it comes to cures for the soul, I personally believe James Dobson relied too heavily on secular psychology for his answers. And that was his, his training. I forget whether he went to, uh, I think he went to USC and got his... Uh, Uh, degrees. I periodically listened to his program while driving in the car, happened to be on the same time I was coming home. And he would say that a person's responses are preconditioned by their environmental or chemical imbalances in their brain. So he both, you know, he both took the psychological model of socialization causing problem. And so it was either the socialization or it was because they got this imbalance. I never, never ever heard them refer to that. Their issue is that, they're, you know, they're, they're sinning. They're not respecting authority. They're not uh, exercising any self, self-control. self Anything like that. But my understanding of Scripture is that a person's responses are preconditioned by their own sin nature, not preconditioned by these things. Now I say all these things out of, Certainly, I do not want to slander uh, anyone, and I certainly want to be uh, respectful for the, for the good that uh, he has done. Because our presuppositions differ, we differ radically in what we're thinking from the start. The passive help will uh, diverge. Uh, Dr. Dobson advocated building self-esteem. He, if you read his books and all, it was very much centered on that as a way to help Wayward teen find direction in, in this world. And so biblically, the way to help a wayward teen find direction is have a teen with the Spirit's enablement truly understand the gospel, confess their sins, and put on attitudes of obedience of faith. <coughs> it's just a delight for me when well, I got to teach up upstairs last night just to look out over the crowd and see there were a number of our teenagers up there that were going through fundamentals and the, to have that a foundation in their lives as uh, the, uh, it, it's tough to be a teenager there's all kinds of voices that are speaking to you out there of what life is and so for them to be getting uh, this kind of understanding like I was told you before I was not raised in a Christian home, wasn't in a christian church i didn't till i was 27 i I mean i didn't even go to church christmas and easter i didn't had no uh involvement at all so you know my worldview, my life was in a totally very different direction and to think that this is a blessing that uh, these these young people people have so so um in dobson's model there's really no place for a new thetic confrontation you know presenting the Word of God, helping a person understand that Word of God, verbally talking to them, and helping them move toward a repentance, confession, and living a life pleasing uh, to the Lord. James Dawson advocated the medical model for too wide a range of issues. He believed the chemical imbalances in the brain caused a wide range of medical, men, excuse me, mental diseases. He advocated the use of psychotropic drugs for curing these these disorders, the biblical model in many cases, people's responses are learned behaviors and not necessarily diseases. Real cure will only come when the individual renounces this sinful behavior. Okay. So, uh, the uh, that that was someone chose there that uh, did not agree, and you can you can put it down now because. That you do agree with, you might agree with you can write about how you agree with Paul Tripp, or you can write about how you agree with Brad Bigney and things like that. they'll you know, they'll know those people, and so stating of why uh you do that, okay, so that's what they're they're looking at and, and really, the question is just to make us aware that uh, we're we're saying different different things, okay. Okay, so we got one last one, right? Is that true? Is that it? You are down to one, huh? All right. Um, And what a joyful topic to deal with here. uh, Church discipline. And in actuality, um, if if you practice it as punishment, I mean, that's that 's wrong and perverse, but some churches do, and uh, just practicing to get people in line but if you practice it to help people uh, be restored in Christ, it it really can be neat to to watch uh, that happen and so uh, here at Grace Fellowship Church, we do practice it, so we 'll talk about uh, that, yes, we do practice the well, let me go back to the question: does your, churches, does your church presently practice church discipline? If not, would you be willing to graciously encourage them toward this position? So this is a little prod from ACBC to in your church to you know to do this, and you might not be able to get it uh, you know all the way there, but not just turning the other way when there's a, a blatant sin, because if there's people that are looked up to in the community and they're just allowed to sin and do whatever they want, people who are weak in the faith see that, they oh, okay, well, that must be okay. You know, and then they live that way. So then we wonder, you know, they see someone who's 40, a model in the community, and they've lived a certain way as a drunkard or maybe been involved in sexual immorality. You know, 20-year-olds, they, they pick up and they see things. They wonder then they're living that way when they're, Twenty and thirty, and just perpetuates itself, so uh, so yes, here at Grace Fellowship Church, we do practice uh, the discipline God has worked to restore some through this this process, so the word is some, not not everyone it, he does. Uh, we give him thanks, we give him the glory for that, and fortunately, wherever I served, I tried to encourage biblical restorative. Church discipline. So that's key. It's biblical, restorative, church discipline. Now, to become like Christ, people must change. This is the primary goal of biblical uh, counseling. We're not asking them to change, to be like we are, except as we are in Christ. But not to have the same preferences and all that through life. One biblical method of motivation for people who continue to resist change over an extended period of time and who prove unwilling to make commitments required of them by Scripture is formal church discipline. So it's actually a motivation, it's a grace, that has been given to us. Now the neat thing about it is guidelines for this method are in Matthew 18, 15 through 18. So let's go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. The Lord didn't give us many step-by-step, almost formulas in doing ministry. But it appears here when dealing with someone who continues to sin in the, the body, that uh, he does want us to exercise what we've come to call a church discipline. Now, looking at this here, you see all in your scriptures where it's, it starts, Matthew 18, verse 15. Good? Okay? No. most of scripture is organized according to context, and that's very important. What is the passage before that about? Yeah. Okay. You have a lost sheep and you go after them. All right. So what so a lot of people take it as a radical jump from the lost sheep to church discipline. It's really explaining how you restore that lost sheep. And the the gentleness, the sensitivity as a pastor who cares, that's what should carry you into as you exercise the church discipline passages. You should never, ever teach, uh, I don't know how it's labeled in your scriptures, in mine, It starts, verse 15 ahead of it, the title is dealing with sin in the church. You should never teach those passages or explain those passages without calling people to the the parable, you know, of the wandering sheep, okay? And then also it fits too, uh, if you cause other people to stumble, especially little ones, this is a grave, grave sin, the one before that. So church discipline fits with all of those there in the context of what the Lord is saying. We exercise the discipline to restore this person also so this person doesn't, their sin raise havoc in the church and it causes other people to sin by modeling uh, what they've been doing. So very, very important there. So let me get back to the notes so I don't get, get us wildly lost here um, okay, we got this all right, so let 's follow the notes and see what we got. Church discipline has a has a negative connotation typically uh, i 've never done a poll on it, but it does seem that most of our evangelical churches don 't uh, don 't practice it it's, uh, it does it 's hard it does get messy, it does take your leaders a lot of a lot of time uh, to do it, <clears throat> and you have to develop almost a culture of it because the uh, the congregation typically is not going to going to like this because you 're going to be coming down on a very good appear to be coming down on a very good friend they don 't see it as helping uh, this person so why there 's a misunderstanding of its goals, and sometimes it 's inappropriately applied sometimes it is applied in a way that you're getting rid of those you don't like. Uh, Any of you familiar with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and all that? In the last month, the elders of that church had to come out, and they had removed two pastors previously under church discipline. They had removed two pastors under church discipline for not submitting to the authority of the church. And And they removed them. From the positions, and they removed them from membership from the church in both cases of these two men, and these the current elders of Mars Hill had to come out and say, you know, we you know we actually were the ones that were sinning. You guys were actually pointing us to truth. So here was a place where they had uh, a church that Mars Hills being modeled all over the place, and uh, they were just being tyrannical on people who do not agree with the upper echelon of, of leadership. And uh, we can watch, unfortunately, we we'll watch it disintegrate uh, in front of us. You know, Mark Driscoll, you know, being now resigned, and now they're, they're telling all the, the campuses, uh, basically, you're on your own now. That's the, the, basically the end of that, that, that movement. Very, very sad, you know, situation. Uh, There, But they exercised discipline, but they were exercising it for what, you know, they had a very narrow view of you towing the line and going the way that we wanted you to go. That's not the way uh, to do it. So, inappropriately applied. So after you see how it was applied at Mars Hill, that's going to scare a lot of evangelical churches now away from exercising. it Because now... The goal of discipline is never a punishment, and it's always uh, repentance and reconciliation. That's what you're working toward. And uh, just before Jesus gave the guidelines for church discipline, he's also speaking of the delight that uh, God and others have of seeing a wayward soul come back to living the righteous way, which has been provided for by God himself then Jesus gives these discipline guidelines so we are uh, rightly are used to restore someone who's wandering. Now, steps for church discipline that uh, God gave us, Jesus gave us. The first step is to go to a brother after learning of sin that can't be overlooked. So let's look looking here in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins... Go and point out uh, their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So it's beautiful. You see someone sinning, you go to them and you talk to them about it. Now, <clears throat> those of us, and, and not not myself, uh, but so, some people are, just love biblical counseling because it gives them the Freedom to be confrontational, and they can really clean things up. And they just love to talk to people about how the ways they're they're sinning. Uh, that's not what it's all about. Remember, there's a verse in scriptures that talks about uh, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. There's lots of things that that go on, uh, and so we're not out there, you know, going shouldn't be going after every sin. We have to cover them, but. Ken Sandy in Peacemaking, and he's a very gentle man. We had him here to speak. And as you read his writings over the decades, uh, he said that to confront another in in sin is when you see that it's a characteristic behavior that is uh, hurting this person's witness, plus it is taking glory away from God. All right. If it's to that point, hurting the person's witness and taking glory away from God, and he gives an example uh, in it where um, there was sort of a common joke between he and his wife that she had done something, and so he, he they talk about this in public uh, uh, regularly. And so one of his friends came up to him and. Uh, shortly after this happened in a public gathering, and said, you know, you, you said this and this about, about your wife, and everyone was standing there laughing. But uh, I looked at your wife, and uh, she, she was not laughing. You know, she was looking down at the ground. Uh, you, you, what you said hurt her. And uh, as Ken Sandy tells the story, he said, he, he blew it off. There's, this guy is way out of line here, uh, confronting me. and just, uh, he's really inappropriate. And I forget now the story, whether he went and asked his wife or by further talking to the man right then. He realized what he was doing was, was not treating his wife in a, in a loving way. And he had to ad- admit that sin to the person who brought it to his attention and confess to his wife and certainly not tell that story and use her as the brunt of a joke like that. Again, and actually ended up being very, very thankful that this what, this person was really a true friend who came and spoke to him so here 's a case where someone came, and the person did, and not necessarily right away will it change, but the uh, person did change now that 's the first the first step, and uh, certainly go very openly uh, and it often, as opposed to just coming with both guns, you know, fired about the first sin, it usually helps to ask questions. You know, you know, uh, I thought I heard you say this. Is this what you said? You know, what did you, what did you mean by that? What you know, work into it, build up to it, to get get on the same page. And uh, also, it helps. Ken Sandy has said when cu- going to someone reaffirm the relationship, you know, go and say, hey, uh, you know, George, uh, I know we are both good friends of each other. And uh, I would appreciate if, you know, you would help, help me. Uh, if you see my, I'm sinning, and I hope that, uh, that you will still see me as a, a loving brother as, as I talked to you about this, because something happened the other night that I really want to talk to you about. It's been upsetting me. So go in a really loving, gentle way. So we have a looking at this here. We have a little slogan that says, uh, "Tell as few people for as long as possible." So you can see here, you don't immediately go tell the church to really. All right, bring all you wait can to change this person. One person knows. If that's not effective, and this is a sin that's damaging this person's witness and Christ, then you take others along. Now, my suggestion in taking others along is don't necessarily take someone who agrees with you. Take someone along who the person, the other person typically agrees with and really appreciates them. Um, So... Uh, The second step, if a sinner is not repentant after the first kind confrontation, then a second meeting is necessary with others along to establish the facts. The counselor may become initially involved in the second step of the process. For example, a married couple is having problems and the husband continues to severely sin even after his wife's respectful confrontation. Okay, so she's gone to her husband. This is that kind of case. According to God's word, it's a perfect time for her to involve others by having them come to a biblical counselor. Okay, could be the biblical counselor that they go to uh, to help sort out this problem and exercise repentance as necessary. May forgiveness and reconciliation be the result at this point. So there they're going to the to the counselor and having the counselor actually be the the step number two that's in the scriptures where it says um, verse sixteen but if they will not listen to take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three uh, witnesses so that's that now here let's say let's say um <clears throat> let's say mike uh comes to me he's seen me sinning and he comes to me and he uh speaks to me about that sin and uh, so he's following step 2 he's been very gracious he's been kind he asked for a convenient time that we could meet did it in a private place uh let there be lots of time for me to to speak and for him to speak to me and uh, I blow him off. Or I give a different account of the story. But Mike's conscience is, is still believing that uh, Ken is sinning and I'm hurting the image of Christ, Grace Fellowship Church. So, Mike now wants to move to the second step here. And uh, he wants to help me. Now, <clears throat> Mike can call his best buddy, who always agrees with everything that Mike thinks and come and sees me and, uh, you know, really loaded up. Or Mike could think, all right, uh, you know, I could be off. I'm going to bring someone that we both really respect in the church and that someone I think if they heard the facts, uh, they would also speak truthfully to Ken's life, a friend of his. So as opposed to him bringing his best buddy, it might be good for him to like bring, you know, someone like uh, Bud Fennell. He knows I have a relationship with with Bud, we all respect him, and have he and Bud would come and ask me what went on. And just bring, when you go these steps, bring as much grace and help as you can. To It's not for the Person confronting to make sure they win here, your goal is to help restore the sinner. Your goal is to help me see the light, and so whatever you can do to help me do that would be greatly appreciated makes sense yeah so uh, the uh, so if that if that doesn 't happen, then we move on to the if he refuses to listen to them verse seventeen then the, the wife and counselor, in this case, it's this kind of situation, proceed to the third step of the process by prayerful taking the issue to the church. <clears throat> At this point, the sinner is presented with a ratification of a sin of being designated an unbeliever by the community of, of faith. Because this step is sometimes necessary, biblical counseling should be done in the, in the church. So this is a good reason why to have the biblical counseling done there, so if we have an issue like that happens, uh, they would then bring the issue to Bob Greenwood. Bob Greenwood is the director of the counseling center. He's also on the elder board. He is the elder that handles these kind of cases. And he would then make an uh, arrangement for the couple to come and talk to the elders about uh, what is going on in their home. So when Uh, church and biblical counseling are wed, the full authority of the church is present, which the church may use to motivate change. And and this happens, uh, well, I would say we have somebody, we comes to the elders, it probably happens um, three or four times a year. So it happens quite regularly uh, there. At, At this point, the biblical counselor is, uh, valuable and objectively presenting the facts to the church. So how we do it, uh, instead of bringing, I mean, instead of calling a congregational meeting and uh, bringing everybody on a Sunday evening that may have different levels of spiritual understanding and all, uh, to bring it to the whole church, uh, we practice this by bringing it to the, the leadership you know, of the church, it comes to the elders and they, they hear these uh, issues. So, in fact, uh, we have our elders meetings on the third Monday of every month. So if you can pray for us, we do that 11 times a year. We don't do it in December. And uh, um, the way we do the elder meetings, um, the elders, all the elders are typically, we always have nine elders. Uh, they build their agenda. And so the issues that they want discussed, they send all those in by Thursday beforehand. So the elder agenda has been built themselves. All the issues are there. And uh, I'm the one that facilitates the elders' meetings, so then I'll put different priorities on them. But when they uh, create the agenda for the elders' meetings, all the issues are presented. Each elder even presents a recommendation That'll be considered and supplies all the supporting information in the appendix. So often, when these documents are created, they can be 20 or 30 pages long, but they get them beforehand because when we come together on Monday nights, we come together to make godly decisions. We don't come together to try and share information that'll take us to 11 o'clock at night and then from 11 to 1, make the decisions. It's a disaster. Uh, so, God willing, uh, we meet at 7, and we are to be out of there by 9.30 uh, at night. And if I see we're not going to make it by 9.30, I'll ask for a motion at 9.20 that we will go to 10 o'clock, but no later, so that we will make wise decisions and all. So, in I've seen the agenda. Uh, and working through it, praying through it, deciding which issue. Sometimes I can't guide us through all of them, but often we get them all done. Uh, but I see that there's four updates on counseling situations that have gone south and are issues that uh, may come in the future to the elders, but wanting to make all the elders aware, because they're happening in our church, of of things that still uh one of the parties is, is not acting appropriately just to keep them aware of the situation. But we're not bringing anyone this month, you know, to sit with us and to talk. But we work through it together, you know, as, as a church. So that's how, how we do it. So it takes a lot of time. And typically, um, we will, since it takes so much time and so it's a lot of energy, we will only do it with members, people who have said, well, I want to be under the care of the church. And part of that care is this kind of care, and so if they say they want this kind of care, we are obligated to uh, provide it, and so we do uh, we do do it, but only for members and legally also. Uh, <clears throat> a, a church we could be we could be set ourselves up for big lawsuits if we exercise church discipline against people who did not give us the right to exercise. Uh, church discipline. So. so that's where we are on step three. The fourth step, if he refuses to listen, she refuses to listen even to the church. The final step of the process of church discipline is to treat the individual who continues to resist as unbelievers since they evidence lack of submission to the lordship of Christ. This isn't a nasty kicking them out. Uh, we do ask them uh, to, uh, their name will be announced at the congregational meeting that uh, they've been removed from uh, membership. Their, their small group will be given much more details than the uh, congregation at large. Uh, and they are, they are typically allowed to come to the church services on Sunday mornings but we ask them not to participate in a small group until they're repentant. Uh, Sometimes we even have to bar them from uh, the church services on Sunday morning. And uh, 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 that happens uh, typically when someone is practicing inappropriate sexual behavior and we realize by being, we have a pretty free community here. And we don't want anything to happen to people who are unsuspecting. Uh, so we will bar people from coming in those extreme cases. Because if someone's an unbeliever, we typically would want them to come to hear the gospel and hopefully we'll use them to change. But if they're using our free environment here to find uh, roommates, to find friends, to lead them into, uh, you know, homosexual or, uh, you know, Man, woman, sexual relationships that are inappropriate, then we'll have to watch them. And so, um, Mike and his team, you know, watch over people like that and alert us. And there are, there are people. There's someone Mike's watching. Had been, his team had been watching over someone that we thought would be very, very violent and want to do damage to his to his wife and so forth. And so, Mike and team are have watched out for them. So we're very Appreciative of all that goes goes on here, so we can function as a healthy body of of Christ. So, thanks, Mike, doing it. All right. So, these are some of the steps that we take in terms of discipline. So, see the flow of this process. Tell as few people for as long as possible. This process does not happen, you know, one week after another. You know, change takes time, takes prayer. So this, this can take six months to a year that we work through. Uh, hopefully we're being diligent and not dragging our, our feet in it. So this whole process of church discipline, if it's necessary, you know, does not happen overnight, take many months with continuous attempts toward repentance and reconciliation. Even after exclusion, should repentance occur, then reconciliation is readily established. Uh, may church discipline be effectively used as one of God's models for motivating people of change. So, as I read this, just one other thing I wanted to tell you: anybody who is removed from the the church due to an uh, of of sinful behavior, they every person is then given an elder uh, who is responsible still for if they have a change of heart. They have an the, an elder who they can call and immediately meet with and talk through, and then an the elder will then uh, meet with them, uh, talk through, uh, see if they're really repentant. Let's say someone is uh, uh, been leading a homosexual lifestyle and actually been 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 preying on people, you know, of in our congregation by getting you know gets an apartment, gets roommates and things like that. This is, this has happened here at Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, and so <clears throat> now this person has been removed f- from membership, Ask them not to attend and uh, not to, you know, make notices, not to contact grace people. And uh, they have a uh, a change in heart. And so uh, they will contact not just any one of us, but one person who's really assigned to them. And we'll meet with them, see uh, see where they are, how long have they... Uh, not been practicing uh, this behavior, Checking on their other evidences, okay, alright, why don't you come back to services on Sunday and, and sit near me, you know, and uh, then, okay, why don't you then uh, if, if I was the elder, hey, why don't you come and be a part of, you know, our small group for the next year and see how, how it goes and just working it back together in a restorative way, making sure this person isn't praying on a our, our church and people. So these are the type of things that, that uh, we try and do to, to help here.